talks so much about ordinances and how um, it was through him being so obedient to those ordinances and covenants that tied the promise and the blessings from him to his seed and the adopted seed. So I don't know. I just, I know that doesn't answer all the questions you asked. There was like four in there, but, mm -hmm. but ordinances are being open to us every day as we're seeking them. And they're, they're new, they're different. They're not all the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, as Abraham enjoyed uh, the learning and the growth that he had and and the ordinances that of the priesthood that he he got, um, we can also. And sometimes it's pretty hard to prepare ourselves. Uh, we don't have, I don't think, near the challenges Abraham had in our lives. We may we may have our own types of challenges, but. Um, I don't think we, we suffer as he did, and yet uh, in a life that has been made so easy for us, many of us have a hard time rec recognizing the importance of those ordinances of, of, until they're taken away. And right now, with the temple being taken away, it brings to light a lot of things and a lot of time that we could have been there and done the ordinances and grown from them and and uh, I and 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 paid more attention instead of going robotically or you know some of those type of things um, Abraham had things so difficult that he was constantly calling on God and I think that's kind of what we need to be doing constantly calling on God and 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 asking God to let us have those ordinances back at this point in time mm -hmm. yeah thank you I and think that, um, we have ordinances that we don't too but anyway sorry Mm -hmm. Oh, that's okay. I thought you were done. I didn't want to cut you off. I was. I, just the afterthought. <laughs> I, I think yeah, it dovetailing right off of what you were just saying about the temple and about the ordinances. As we stop and we think about the endowment in particular, if we if we sit and think about that, we realize that it is truly the path leading us to how to find God, how to get to the point where we can converse with him. And what better way to know, more fully know him than to be able to converse with him. And I, I think without the, the knowledge that we learn in the endowment, we're not going to be able to get to that point. And, and so, um, as, as in the book, they said, you know, you start with the ordinance that, you know, baptism and gift of the Holy Ghost that allows you to have personal revelation. But really, um, that's your beginning. Once you go to the temple, if you um, take the time to to learn about that, then that truly is our path. And, and that's really a sad part of us not being able to go to the temple right now, right? Because we've been talking about all these things and learning about all these things and going, okay, how much of this do I remember? I, I've been going for 35 years. How much do I remember of this, right? And, and even though 
I could have before um, a year ago just sat down and closed my eyes and run through the entire thing in my head. I find that with not being able to go for almost a year, it starts to fade. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're told go often, go regularly so that it's fresh in our minds and it doesn't fade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like I found that same exact thing. Like I, a year ago, I could have repeated all of the, the ordinances to yeah, just pretty much verbatim. I had it all memorized. Now, as I'm trying to go through it in my mind and let the temple go through me and, and things, it's like, oh man, I'm really slipping. I need to, I need to get back, but then it's not possible. And so, um, yeah, it, it's very interesting how, how that works. But if we remember, remember the, the spirit will bring those things to our remembrance as we need them and, and things, but it's important to make the effort to, to do so. Uh, to, to try to keep those things fresh in our mind and, and those covenants um, actively. I think that that's a huge part of why we wear garments and that we are, are wearing physical, tangible emblems of, of covenants, of promises and blessings and, and things. You know, that it's just simple. It's, you know, it doesn't have the whole endowment written on it, but it has enough that we can point our, our minds and hearts back each morning as, as, we, as we dress ourselves in, in the the sacred emblems of, of that endowment is huge. It's a, a great benefit to us as we do so. The other thing, Cameron, is that um, I think with this year has brought a lot of adversity and huge, um, at least for me, huge amounts of time of uncomfortable and um, awkwardness. And so, you know, as they, they have told us with we must know the sorrow so that we must, that we'll really appreciate the joy. And I think the first time we get to go back to the temple, we're going to all have so much joy because we'll really know what it was to have it taken away. Because if we didn't go, that's our choice, but it physically was, has been taken away from us. Nobody has been able to go to the temple with, with the exception of those few that have had endowments done or personal ordinances done for themselves. But just to go and have that privilege has been taken away in it for so long and it's, it's taking a toll. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, um, like Nancy said, you know, to be able to recite it would have been easy. Like, sadly, I've not been able to ever recite it, but um, my memory's not the best, but, um, but to have the ability to go whenever I wanted to was my choice or it wasn't my choice. And so, um, but I did find something um, from last week's discussion. Uh, it's in the book, it's called The Lost Language of Symbolism. And it talks about what the meaning of the cherubim and um, flaming sword. Yeah. Um, has anybody else read that book or no? Mm -hmm. Yep, I have. <laughs> um, did we talk about this, that the cherubim is, is angels? Or did, did my, main, my brain totally go off? I don't know if we necessarily ventured full on into it in class, but um, I think it was kind of briefly mentioned or whatever. Okay. So anyway, so if you're looking for more in-depth, like meaning of the cherubim and flaming sword, it's in, um, it's on page 296 of that book. So I don't want to take up this discussion, but. Cameron, do you go into a lot of that in your symbolism YouTube course? Um, I, I can't remember specifically on cherubim and, and flaming sword, but 
Um, if I don't, I really should add that to it because it, it's very powerful. The the symbolism behind those those angels that guard the covenants and and the tree of life and and things. Yeah, uh, I, I'm writing that down. I'll I'll check with it and I'll see if I've got it in there or not. Well, I started your symbolism course last week after you talked to us about it. Um, I've watched several of them there. I, I want to go back and take a lot more notes and, and, and pause it and write a lot of things down. So you guys, if you have not seen those YouTube videos, you really need to go and do that playlist on Cameron's YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great primer for, for symbolism 101. If you've never understood or seen things symbolically, how to, to really dive in in that way. Right now I'm trying to create and, and curate a gospel symbolism uh, 200 level class for, for the next one. <laughs> It'll be fun. Um, but yeah, so uh, diving into um, the, this first chapter of, of Abraham and, and talking about the ordinances here on page 82, the ordinances that um, he received in, um, by the time that he left Haran, he had received the first ordinances of the gospel. And it really talks about how, um, well, who would have given those to him? Because obviously Terah wasn't worthy, his father, or any of his, his previous uh, patriarchal line. Uh, they, were, um, they were all dwindling in, in unbelief there. And so as we, we dive in and, and know from previous chapters that Enoch is crucial into um, leading Abraham by the hand. And um, being that catalyst, that's the reason that he was translated was in order to, to pass on some of these keys, rites, ordinances, rituals um, to Abraham and, and later on in um, different dispensations as well. So I, I find that that's such an interesting uh, concept there that Abraham, even though he was faithful, he didn't receive everything all at once. He goes just like we go and receive the first principles of the gospel and then receives the next line upon line as he goes through different trials and different um, life experiences that he's, he's progressing and, and growing in, in that. Uh, Abraham didn't just come out of the womb, just uh, exalted. Uh, he had to, to grow line upon line. And um, through his, his pattern, his experiences, we can learn a lot throughout that, how we can model our lives so that we can receive the same blessings because everything's based upon eternal laws. Uh, if we follow certain laws, we get certain blessings and uh, there's a line upon line principle that, that gets us to um, receive amazing things in this life, in the flesh. I, I find that so fascinating to, to study the prophets and those patterns. Um, anything from that first section, um, uh, anything about Shem and Melchizedek that you learned that you thought was interesting? I have a, a quick um, genealogy kind of chart of Abraham to Nimrod, I thought was interesting. You know, I'm all about charts and, and, and seeing connections there. So we have Noah here and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so um, this is uh, just based on uh, line by line, um, how, how they're related. So Ham and Shem brothers, their sons, Cush and Arphaxid are cousins. Nimrod, the great mighty hunter, the, the evil nemesis of, of Abraham, um, is second cousins with, with Selah here. And then down on to Abraham. So Nimrod and Abraham are second cousins, six times removed. 
we know that uh, from the time of Adam clear until Noah, the lifespans were, were long, but they're getting shortened now after Noah, um, but, but still not quite. They're, they're still living quite, quite a while. Um, Nimrod, we do know, is a contemporary with Abraham. Abraham is in Nimrod's court and, and deals a lot with him. Nimrod was um, crucial in the, the ordering of Terah to bring his son Abraham as a sacrifice for the gods on behalf of, of Nimrod, a proxy sacrifice, the kingly sacrifice. Um, and so we have these two that are contemporaries, but yet Nimrod is born much before Abraham. And we know that in the days of Peleg, um, that the, the continents were divided. Nimrod is the great builder of the Tower of Babel and, and it was destroyed. So we have a lot going on um, after Nimrod is born, but before Abraham is born, they're, they're major worldwide commotion, right? And, and so there's, there's a lot of huge things that happen here. And um, as mentioned in the book, it talks about um, the, the theory that Shem is Melchizedek, yet um, there, there's multiple genealogies of, of Abraham and um, the, the author's uh, conjecture being that that Shem is not equal with Melchizedek, that that was a, a change made by Jewish rabbis and, and things throughout the years in order to, to bring Melchizedek more into focus uh, being um, uh, in the, the covenant um, patriarchal line. Yet, it, 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 some things just don't make sense and don't add up um, that Shem would not be Melchizedek. I find that very interesting uh, to study out all the different connections and, and things there. Um, you know, not to throw out personal conjecture, but I, I totally think that Melchizedek was instrumental in bringing down the Tower of Babel and um, confounding the languages. I think that that was through the Melchizedek priesthood. That's totally my opinion. Don't take my word for that. <laughs> okay, I, I have a question here for you, Kim. Mm -hmm. um, do we know how many years it was from I mean, Nimrod was still in power when Abraham was born, but do we know how many years it was? And I just wondered as I was reading that, if Abraham was chosen for that sacrifice because of the fact that he was a good person. That was one thought that I had because quite often that's what they do is they look for, for that. But I also wondered about Jared, the brother Jared, uh, were they contemporaries also? Was Abraham born before or after the Tower of Babel? Do you know that for sure? Uh -huh, that, that's great questions. Um, I'm, somebody shared this on the website, and so I'm just pulling that up here. They have a chart here that somebody's put together, and this was shared by Becky uh, Goodmanson. And um, it shows each of the, the patriarchs and the, the age they were when Adam died or the, the age, uh, Adam's age when those uh, patriarchs were born. And then from Noah on, it goes through and, and talks about um, the age that they were when Abraham was born versus Abraham's age when they died. It's a very handy chart, but it doesn't have... Um, uh, the brother of Jared on there, um, 
from that specific time frame. I, that, your guess is as good as mine on that one. I have not studied that out, but I found that a very interesting chart and list, um, and that can be found on the website in the the Abraham group. So, do we know what year Abraham was born? Um, somewhat. I mean, there are conjectures, or, uh, estimates, and everything. Me. This is a, a very handy book, <laughs> Time Chart History of the World. I reference it all the time. Um, let me try to pull up Abraham really quick. Abraham is born right around um, nineteen ninety six BC ish. Um, that's kind of taking a a look at all of the different possibilities of uh, when he could be born and kind of doing an average on those, but right around nineteen ninety six BC. Okay. Good. Yeah. All right. So um, <laughs> I always have to, <laughs> I go on tangents and I have to come back to the book. Um, so here in, in this section, it talks about um, that translation always has a purpose. And we kind of talked about that. Um, but at the very last of that section on the top of page 85, um, it talks about, in fact, this event um, about the uh, Enoch coming to Abraham. Uh, may well have been a key part of the Lord's purpose in translating Enoch so that he could return on this very occasion and transfer the long lost authority and ordinances to Abraham for the reestablishment of Zion on earth. We find that throughout the scriptures, there's always a pattern of translation. Anytime that any being is translated, it's for a purpose. Moses, um, Elias, Elijah, those were, were translated beings in order to restore priesthood keys by the laying on of hands. Uh, three Nephites, John the Beloved, we have many examples, uh, Alma, uh, a lot of people getting translated for specific priesthood functions and, and things. And um, with the doctrine of translation, uh, if, if that's a, a blessing that we seek and, and are, are wanting to, to get there, it, it's going to be for a purpose. And that is the building up of Zion in the last days, gathering in the elect from the four corners of the earth, um, you know, we've talked about on, on Facebook a lot of times the, the fishers of men versus the hunters of men um, and the elect, the 144,000 being the hunters that will be able to do what the fishers cannot and, 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 and gathering the elect when, when they're trapped and, and needing to come to Zion. Um. Cameron, um, there was a big part of it that really stuck out to me and it goes right with what you're saying back on page 82 and the towards like the bottom third of the page it just talks about the indwelling of the spirit mm -hmm. uh, that that was a key part of abraham receiving um the indwelling of the spirit and that he was possessed by the holy spirit at all times you guys see that there mm -hmm. um indwelling has had such a a deep impact in my life recently just understanding what indwelling means and feeling that oneness with Christ. 
um, walking and talking through the Holy Ghost versus having to stop and find him. Just he's already there, letting him dwell within my vessel. And that is a really big piece of, of where these men and women um, take that change towards translation or towards, you know, really being a disciple of Christ. And so I just wanted to bring that up. Like, I don't know if anyone else has really felt indwelling or has anything to share on that. I would love to hear it just because I've been learning all about it recently. And anyway, if anyone has something to share, I don't know if you've read the book. Um, it's Tree of Souls is where that line came from. That's the footnote is the book Tree of Souls. Who's it by? Um, Schwartz. That's what it says in the back. Um, it just says Tree of Souls by Schwartz. So I didn't know if anyone had read it or anything, but anyone has anything to add on it? I never even thought or heard of the word indwelling. So you, this is the first time, like, I didn't even, it's like I skipped over it while reading that. So <laughs> thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. yeah, of course. And if, if any guys ever do, I would love you to share any of it with me. I just love your insights. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I, I've always been intrigued by that word, but I have not ever actually dove into it, done the, the research and, and, and topically studied that. I I'm excited to, uh, to hear and share and, and everything on that. Yeah, it's interesting to know. I, I wish I had my my own footnotes to, to my notes here, but um, I have written down in my margins that I found this somewhere. Um, but the endowment anciently was called the right hand ordinance. So anytime you're talking about the the right hand of God or or anything with the right hand, um, it, it was meaning that they were getting their endowment. Um, but I do not have the source on that. So don't take my word for it, but it's somewhere, something that, I, that I've read before, but it's the, the right hand ordinance is, is basically what the, the endowment, what used to be called. Um, everything makes is- sense. Totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. yep, yep. Um, well, and before we go to the next section, I just, I love that you brought up garments because that, that was exactly what I was thinking of when we were talking about the ordinances and um, also just initiatories, the, um, gosh, I wish I knew all of the initiatory. I would just love that, but I don't, <laughs> but I do have all the memories. I spent the entire last year. So two years ago, almost now doing initiatories every week and really trying to like learn it and, and go through that. And, um, the garments in the initiatory, as well as in the endowment, um, bring so much power, the blessings, the covenants, the ordinances, everything that the, the garment means to us. Um, just remembering what we feel about or felt about those in initiatories, having that remembrance come back to you um, as you are dressing in the morning really does put on that armor and reminds us of those covenants that we have made. So thank you for bringing that up. Garments are such a huge part of remembrance. Mm-hmm. I don't even know why this is like coming to mind, but it's a random tidbit from, from studying temples and things. But um, in the early pioneer endowments, 
Um, Brigham Young used to, to represent uh, Elohim in, throughout the, the endowment. And he would stand on, on one side of the veil and he had a, a sword and, and it would go through the veil and actually etch the marks in the person's garment um, as they were doing that. And then they would go home and stitch that, that mark up. And, and I found that that was a very interesting cherubim and flaming sword uh, tie in there. I don't know why that was interesting, but- I, I, um, Wow, could you imagine? <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> to be in that time would be amazing. <laughs> exactly. That's and when you hope that he has very good aim and he doesn't poke <laughs> too hard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Another tiny tidbit, Cameron. Uh, the Manti Temple was the only temple that had this, mm -hmm. but for many, many years, the Manti Temple had a flaming sword on the wall. And it lit with real fire. Really? Whoa! I have never heard that one before. That was uh, we. That was our temple when we were first married, and you could still see it there. And um, it, you know, it was done by gas, but it it mm -hmm. lit with real fire. But they didn't. It. They stopped it. I would say. Mm, I'm trying to think exactly um I would say around 1970 or or 69 along in there they hey, stopped very interesting yeah I, I love little tidbits like that thank you mm -hmm. um so yeah uh, sorry I'm not trying to to rush this along but but moving on to, to page 86 um I, I want to quickly talk about what it means to be a pilgrim versus a pioneer. At the very top of the page, it, it references spiritual pilgrims. And I think that this is important to the story to know what the pilgrims were during that time versus, um, well, not versus, but um, as compared to, to pioneers. What, what, what would you say is the, the big difference between a pilgrim and a pioneer? I think a pilgrim went looking for someone who they already knew was there, right? Um, so people take pilgrimages to Mecca, you know, the um, Muslims take pilgrimages to Mecca all the time. Mecca is there, there's an established path, established reason you go there. And the pilgrims in the book came from other places to find Abraham and to sit with him and talk with him. And that's your pilgrim. Um, I think a pioneer is somebody, they're blazing off a trail that's not happened before and they're not sure where they're gonna end up, but they're going, right? Um, like when Abraham first had to leave and he packed all of his things up and said, I'm leaving and they go, well, do you know where you're going? Nope, but the Lord told me I needed to go. So I'm leaving. <laughs> We've had some of those instances in our own lives, right? So, um, but I think that's really the difference. I think in the United States, sometimes we might get pilgrims confused with pioneers because the first people who came to the continental United States were called pilgrims, mm -hmm. but they really were pioneers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I it, perfect. I couldn't have worried it better myself. Um, so these spiritual pilgrims here were um, traveling along, and um, pilgrimage is is basically back to 
where the pioneers came from. So pioneers go out from a place and pilgrims go back to that place to remember um, the past kind of a thing. So uh, us as Latter-day Saints, a lot of times, especially out here in the West, we make pilgrimages back to Nauvoo and Kirtland and, and things where those pioneers came from uh, to remember our, our past. And um, just kind of remembering our chart, where we're at here in the timeline of, of history, that these pilgrims are, are going back to, to see the Ark. The Ark was, was visible and it was used in the temple for, for a long time, uh, the Ark of Noah. And so um, these pilgrims are going back and, and, and making pilgrimages back to that area along the Fertile Crescent there and, and stopping along the way to, to talk and, and share with Abraham because he is the one that has carried it on the, the patriarchal line and, and covenant and, and has those those blessings is actively seeking those things. Um, anyway, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, point in the book, especially as you're studying footnotes and, and things, uh, talking about where those pilgrims were, were headed um, and uh, studying about Noah and, and the connections there. Um, yes, so also in that section, um, on page 87, right above the, the new section, Call and Covenant, it's just like one and a half paragraphs above that. It talks about um, Abraham really founding Zion with the people that were in his tent or, or around um, there uh, when he's settling in Haran. And it says that Abraham founded his Zion and those who wished to follow became the followers of Abraham by special rites and ordinances. They were adopted into the family. So he founded the church with the ordinances of the temple. Even though there were yet higher ordinances he would still seek, not unlike Latter-day Saints doing temple work in Kirtland, even though there were additional ordinances yet to be revealed. And that's very much like our day. In the early days of the church, um, we had different ordinances that, that were performed differently than, than we have them. Instead of patriarchal father-to-son type ceilings, they had dynastic ceilings. They were creating dynasties, the, the Pratts and the, the Youngs and the Smiths and and everybody was getting sealed together and adopting each other as, as eternal families before the actual patriarchal uh, line of, of sealing was revealed. Um, it's interesting to note how parallel the, the time of Abraham versus the time of Joseph really falls right into place. They were learning these things line upon line. Um, they were establishing a, a new era dispensation of the gospel and um, they, they were kind of doing the same things that, that we did, even though sometimes we, we talk about Joseph Smith, you know, uh, making mistakes and, and then getting corrected by the Lord with the ordinances. But Abraham was doing the exact same thing. And, and that's the, the revelation, the pattern of, of restoring the gospel. Um, there was something to those dynastic ceilings that were happening there that um, were very important in establishing Zion at that point. I found that very interesting reading that. Um, speaking oh. of, sorry, go ahead. Who was that? No, go ahead, Nancy. <laughs> you know, it's me. I'm always going to say. Yeah, you go. So um, I found it very interesting that Abraham um, had so many people with him. As, uh, as you grow up in the church and everything, and you hear the stories of Abraham and Sarah, you have these little pictures drawn of Abraham and Sarah in a tent out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, they might have Hagar with them or might not, or, you know, that kind of thing. But there's, it's just them. 
and we only hear about just them in the Bible. And it's so interesting to hear about all of these people that Abraham had around him. He basically had a town and everywhere he went, he had a town, a village, a city, whatever, you know, and, and as you go and you learn about things that he does, then you understand, oh, this is how Abraham could go and save Lot. He had an army because he had a city, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and that's just been so cool to learn is how many people already were following him then. It wasn't just, um, you know, he and Sarah were together and, you know, they had their own thing to do, but they weren't alone. Mm-hmm. And anyway. don't you think that would have made them move much slower? Absolutely. I mean, you know, they had to stop for somebody's sick, somebody dies, somebody, you know, all those things. I think it, I think that it was not a quick journey. Mm-hmm. No, if you had to pack up a whole city and go somewhere else, what <laughs> in the world? How, how much would you have to do? How many complainers might you have along the way? But it, it even, you know, you get a glimpse of it. And when you're, when Abraham gets the covenant where he has to be circumcised and all the males of his household, they call it his household. So you think, oh, it's just the people who, you know, his servants, the people who live with him. No, it's the whole town, yep. <laughs> the whole, whole city. And you're going, wow, think about that. You know, you go to an entire city of men and say, guess what? <laughs> that was just funny what before. That's <laughs> what we have to do now. Yep. Well, I was just going to share, um, I'll share something different that goes with what you're saying more is I loved how charitable um, Sarah and Abraham were. I love that charity was always the on the forefront of their mind. Um, I love that, um, let's see, that he, he, they never ate alone. They always invited somebody to join them. I just thought that was so neat and inspiring myself, but the other part that I loved is that, um, like, how many times have we heard um, to stand as a witness of God at all times and in all things and in all places? Like, we've heard it 12 million times, right? Yeah. Well, as I'm reading this, like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And it really is standing as a witness of God. And that witness is through our actions. It's through the way we treat others. It's through our words that we say to others. And it's something that I've really been working hard on is, is losing the natural man, that the natural reaction, or if I'm tired being cranky or, you know, reacting to my kids annoyed because they called and asked for the paper as soon as I like got in bed to go to sleep. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. really trying to stand as a witness of God at all times and in all things and in all places. And it just, it really hit me like, yeah, that is literally what becoming Zion means. Becoming Zion in our vessel, but also becoming Zion in our home and in our communities. And it just, I don't know, it just really impacted me. And I'm like, I think I quoted that every Sunday for however many years you're in young women's, you know, and Mm -hmm. here it is all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I feel it. I feel the truth of that so strongly. So anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, Let's see, let's go to, 
I think it's interesting to note on on page ninety. Um, I I I don't even know if I ever heard this or, or realized it, but on the top of page ninety, it says that um, though all those accepting the gospel would henceforth be accounted his seed, a process that Joseph Smith described as including literal physiological changes. Um, as we know that adoption um, with our patriarchal blessings um, might include us in, in the thing, but, but here we're talking about literal physiological changes. That, that's huge to come from, from the prophet Joseph Smith talking about that. I, I don't know if I've ever heard that before. Uh, that was really cool. Can I, have, can I ask a question? Do you think by him saying that it could be like translation, referring to translation? Very much so. I, I think that that's because uh, I, I feel like just like from what we're talking about and the things that Abraham desires, the blessings he desires, those same things, you know, because he had the great desire, faith, and obedience. We also, his, you know, like we can have those same, like his posterity can also have those receive those same blessings. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, when he said that, I, I almost feel like. It could be like referring to translation and, and you look at the years like how many years did they live like not just abraham but noah like i feel like it would have to be some type of translation just mm -hmm. my just what i'm thinking yeah for sure i i think that that's very much a, a, a great point to to hit on there with those literal physiological changes uh a translated being would definitely fall into that category uh getting physiologically changed i think as far as ages go um you know adam and eve were in the garden and they partook of the tree of life a long time before they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right and so i'm pretty sure that the tree of life made some physiological changes in them and i think that that's why they lived so long even once they left the garden right is um, they had so much. And then if you look at each, subset, each subsequent generation was a little less and a little less and a little less. I think as the effects of the tree of life started to be um, erased through intermarriage and through you know, other things, I think that's one of the reasons why the lifespan started to shorten, you know, because they weren't righteous anymore and they weren't getting that blessing. Um, but I, I think that if we study the um, promises made to covenant Israel, right, which is basically to Abraham, think about all of those covenant promises that are made, all the promises that were given in the initiatory and all of those things, I do think that those very much do tie in with translation and the things that the changes, the physical changes that can happen um, to our bodies as, as those blessings are um, coming uh, in full force and being realized with us. Mm -hmm. yeah very interesting insights um one thing that, that popped into my head has anyone been listening to avraham Gileadi's um podcasts on, on the book of mormon uh, stuff lately i mean he has like 30 of them so far and he's going for 40 or i can't remember exactly how many there are but anyway he he makes a point that is usually taboo amongst most people but um talking about christ's bloodline and, and how many of the early saints um, openly talked about it over the pulpit, uh, 
who was of Christ's literal blood lineage. And um, interesting to note how uh, we're talking about lifespans and Adam and Eve and those physiological changes that kind of um, get less and less and less over time as people become um, further away from that tree and that fruit. Yet um, here with, with Christ's bloodline, um, look at the, the ages right after, like during the dark ages. I mean, we were, we were only living until 16 to 20 years old kind of a thing. And then it starts reversing back. And as um, the, the restoration happens, as advancements in, in medical and, and all of the hygiene and all that, but also the Abrahamic covenant being realized by the descendants of Christ, the, um, that, that holy bloodline really um, ramping back up and, and allowing us to, um, to be on the earth longer to establish Zion and, and, and realize that fullness. That, that's a very interesting parallel that I had never really considered before until you all were talking and, and, and stuff. I, I love that. Well, and I just wanted to share in that section, it has a really um, key part of how we obtain the blessings from Abraham. And it's in the one, two, the third paragraph towards the bottom where it says his word, um, his word of blessing to all nations through Abraham. But Abraham could only be that channel of blessing by hearing, believing, and obeying. And in turn the nations could only appropriate that blessing by imitating his faith and that you know if we're seeking really how to do it how do we become how do we receive these blessings of abraham it's right there we have to um, appropriate the blessings that he had to give us and he had to give us hearing and believing and obeying he had to do that or else we wouldn't have received those blessings mm -hmm. yeah yeah thank you I think also as he's seeking these blessings, he really wants to be taught by God. Like, and I feel like for in order for us to get to that point, like just like President Nelson says, hear him, like we have to have those same desires to be taught by God himself. Mm -hmm. and, and then you, when you think about the temple, like ultimately when we are getting endowed, this like our whole our main goal is to like be in his presence in the celestial room to abide with him. And I think just kind of parallels like what are the desires that we should have like that kind of great desire just like um, Abraham had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Um, Cameron? Yeah. Um, I just have a question that's not related to what we've been talking about, but I wanted to know what you, or thinking about why, you know, Adam was basically the father of man. And why did that title go to Abraham and not to, why didn't it keep with Adam? And was there like some gap or something, or is it that Abraham has a specific calling and title? And you know what I mean? So Abraham's the father of all these generations from Abraham on, but who is the father of those before Abraham? Is that Adam? You know what I mean? What mm -hmm. I'm asking, like, yeah. why did, why does Abraham get the title of father and not Adam, basically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, a lot of it has to do with the actual Abrahamic covenant and, and being the father of all nations. But um, if we look at all of the patriarchs from Adam down to Abraham, 
they they all were promised that same thing. So like we look with Noah, that um, the earth would be cleansed and he would be the father of all nations. Um, and that everything, all lines would go back through him in, in that way. Um, we find that as you're looking through different um, apocryphal, pseudepigraphal sources on on the book of Seth and uh, Enos, Methuselah, all of them, they all have that same blessing of being a father of, of all kind of a thing. And I think it has to do, this is my own personal opinion. I think um, father is very much a office in the patriarchal order of the priesthood. Much like we have deacon, teacher, priest in the Aaronic priesthood, father, mother, uh, king, queen, like all of these uh, things are offices, titles in the patriarchal order of the priesthood. And as we accept and come unto to God and uh, take part in that patriarchal order through the, the endowment and the temple ceiling, that we all start um, advancing and um, in that, that patriarchal order, just like he did. And we have that same promise uh, over the altar that, that we will um, be able to have innumerable seed, be the father of, uh, well, father, mother of, of many nations and things. I, I think it's very much titles rather than um, just one specific um, person, but um, uh, Adam uh, very much over this whole earth versus the other Adams that were over their individual earths kind of a thing. I don't know if that answers your question or any additional. Yeah, very good. Thank you so much. Yeah. Cameron, I think it's really interesting. Something I thought of as you were talking, um, the if if father is an office in the patriarchal priesthood, right? Mm -hmm. Then it really makes sense why Satan is getting the world to denigrate fathers so much. Why um, and also why um, they're totally after you know first they were after motherhood right you don't mm -hmm. want to be a mother and then it was after now it's after fathers and who needs a father kind of thing and so that makes an awful lot of sense as to why the world is doing that because um it's it's so super important mm -hmm. yeah satan always goes after truth and just twists it just enough so that it just leads a bunch of people astray kind of thing it, he's, he's an father yeah. father is such an honor and privilege and so um sacred yeah the office mm -hmm. yeah, for sure and I love how that goes into you know this this whole next part where the union between sarah and abraham is so strong you know he treats her with so much respect he treats her as an equal. They are both teaching. I love that they, she was teaching the women and he was teaching the men and they were united in this union. And something I have personally really felt super strong with um, President Nelson is his union with the wives. More this discipleship with him than I've ever seen before. You see um, apostles with their wives going places you see that union so much more than we ever have and it's because that is absolutely mandatory we cannot have zion we cannot have the second coming until we are united in that union women have this power you know the the prophet told us to step forward and take our rightful places in the church 
It's because it's time. We have to do this. We have to step forward and lead with the men by our sides, not behind the man. You know, it's, it's together. And I love how clear that is through these next few pages. And I loved the charity and the um, long suffering that Sarah goes through on page 98. That whole first paragraph, just talking about how much she suffered in not being able to bear children. And year after year after year, knowing that she was fully promised to be able to bear a child and yet she still couldn't have get pregnant. And what a trial that must have been to her being confirmed over and over and over that yes, you're gonna get pregnant and in her age and the time that was approaching her, I just, that was such a great example to me of just long suffering and faith. We hear answers and we want it to happen on our linear time scale. But unfortunately, God's timing is not linear. There is no, there's no line in his timing. It is perfect. So mm -hmm. anyway, I just loved that. I was, this whole part just totally got my heart. Mm -hmm. and, and, and just going right off of that, um, I think it's important to note that as we keep our covenants, sometimes our Abrahamic tests are, are uh, integrally involved in that, that same process there that even though um, different things might, might arise, divorces and, and strife and, and those kind of things, that as long as you're keeping your covenants, you are still that same, like offices aren't revoked in the, the priesthood based upon um, the other person's part of the covenant. So, um, you know, like there's so many things happening in, in the church now with, um, with divorce and stuff and and i want to, to make sure that that leaves an impression that just because one partner might not be um faithful to their covenants does not make the other partner automatically lose salvation or or lose their part in the abrahamic covenant that as we come unto christ and are faithful in our covenants god remembers his promises to covenant israel he will prevail as long as we are doing our best and and living up to to those promises it, it's so huge that um here on page 92 it talks about um the the order of the priesthood available in abraham's day that could actually give mortals access to that translated city of zion that um there there's so much power in the priesthood and in the ordinances of the the priesthood whether it be levitical whether it be melchizedek whether it be patriarchal but those are always promised to the faithful. And um, I, I think that that's huge to, to really kind of dovetail into that next section of that translation is possible and uh, Enoch City is attainable. We can visit it, translated beings, through the Melchizedek priesthood. It delineates out exactly where um, that power, that access comes from right there. Um, that was the really powerful part right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I would love to know more from anybody that has more <laughs> to share on that because <laughs> without being too really obvious. Spend a half an hour on this part, <laughs> right? No, but can I just, I'm just going to be frank. Yeah. Is this, 
is nah, um is this like portals is that what this is kind of referring to i believe so yeah okay so my question i guess is never mind just <laughs> I'm gonna share. ask it <laughs> and what, what particular part are you on, still on page 92 and what part yeah so it's at the bottom of the first paragraph i believe yeah right yes mm -hmm. um yeah so i guess i just i'm very curious about portals i i have seen mine mm -hmm. i haven't been in it yet i've been shown it many times i'm not ready to go in it yet um but I didn't even know that's what it was actually. Someone just recently told me that's what it was. And so I'm just curious, I guess, what if anyone's open enough to share their experience, if they've seen their own portal or what. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have not um, got that far uh, for sure. I am still <laughs> I feel like I'm taking baby steps towards science. <laughs> But, oh, totally. <laughs> I am too. That's why I'm like, I see it, but I don't think I can go in yet. I'm just going to look at you. <laughs> so, yep. but yeah, I, I didn't know that that's what it was. And I just, I guess I've been really curious about that. So if anybody wants to reach out to me personally, privately, I would love that because I've been on this individual journey trying to figure it out. So if anyone's had that experience, just private message me. I would love to talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How do you share, Stacia? Will you share your? How do I get a hold of you? Um, oh yeah, I'll put my phone number on oh. here and my email. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Um. So yeah. Um. And then here in in the last part of well, I guess it's not the last part. We still got a lot, but um, uh, the last part of our our lesson for today, since we're kind of out of time, but. Um, talking that, that Abraham, he was comfortable there in Haran. He was doing good missionary work. He was, he was loving the Lord and yet he's called upon to move again. Um, he's, he's always called to, to move from places that could be comfort to stretch and to sacrifice. And just really quick, I'd like to talk about the law of sacrifice and, and how important it is that we are actively praying for opportunities to sacrifice and to grow and learn in the gospel and, um, uh, get Abrahamic tests. I know we say it tongue in cheek in the church all the time, like, oh, don't pray for that. You'll actually get it kind of thing. But I mean, all jokes aside, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Like we're supposed to be seeking hard things. This is, this is the gospel. This is how we grow by, uh, you know, nobody ever builds a muscle without stressing it and, and using it and, and, and pushing it to its limits so that it can expand and grow. Um, and I think that that's, uh, we kind of do ourselves a disservice in the church by by joking about it and and letting our our future generations think that that we don't seek hard things kind of thing so um I, I think the law of sacrifice throughout this whole chapter is huge well throughout this whole book uh, about becoming abraham for the love of god we sacrifice and, and that comes from a pure place love god and love your neighbor as yourself. And once we fully have those loves, that charity, we, we start sacrificing willingly in order to build up the kingdom. I, I love that principle and, and how that's played out through here. That um, Abraham is like everywhere he goes all along this journey. So he's going from like Jershon to 
Shechem to Bethel to Ai. And everywhere he goes, he's taking the tabernacle with him. He's, he's bringing the Shekinah, the, the holy uh, presence of, of God, uh, Holy Mother Wisdom, as Margaret Barker likes to, to put it, and, and bringing that into the temple and building an altar for sacrifice everywhere he goes. Um, that, that's a huge principle. Uh, our founding fathers knew that, that principle of sacrifice, and, and they, uh, George Washington, called upon his troops all the time to sacrifice in order to win their battles. Uh, sacrifice is so huge, and, and yet we, I think Satan's really a master of getting us to turn a blind side to that, that law, that, that thing that brings the blessings, the power into our lives. I think in, in our times today, we're very comfortable and we don't like to be uncomfortable. And anytime we think of sacrifice, we think, oh, that's going to make me uncomfortable. I want to avoid that at all costs, right? And, and like you said, Satan is really good at that. He's been, he's been grooming the whole um, society to get us to that point where we strive for comfort more than um, anything else. Mm -hmm. um, but when we really ask the Lord for something, he will give it to us. Um, he will generally give it to us through experience <laughs> and, and learning that way. It's not like it, he's going to download, okay, here's what you need to know. Here's everything you need to know about this. Yeah. He's going to teach you that through experience, through trial and error. Um, it, I know I learn more when I fail than when I succeed because mm -hmm. you learn what not to do and why not to do it. And then you can do better the next time. And then you succeed in that area all the way. And then you run into something else that's difficult and, oh, I didn't do that one right. Let me do it. And, and you learn that lesson so much better. And I think it's the same way with sacrifice. We have to sacrifice those things that are our comfort, our ease. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and that's what really brings us closer, closer to the Lord and closer to knowing what he has in mind for us. Yeah, for sure. Love it. Yeah. Any other uh, comments before we uh, kind of disband? Uh, there's so many fun things in here. I just uh, throw out the, the homework uh, for, for next week. Um, before we share kind of final testimonies. But um, so for next week, I would encourage us all to, to dive into the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapters nine and 14. Um, so this is not just in the footnotes or in uh, of Genesis. You have to go back into the appendix or in the gospel library. It's in the study helps section. Joseph Smith translation of chapters Genesis, or Genesis chapters nine and 14. Um, those are, are, are key into understanding Enoch and Abraham and, and those covenants that were made to them. Um, and then the second homework assignment is to, to make a list of all of your tests and trials that you've had in your life. Uh, if you have a lot of them, maybe just start out with the main ones and, and then go from there. But, but line item out all of your tests and trials, all of your Abrahamic tests, big or small, and then... Um, map them or draw a line to the Abrahamic test or the Abrahamic blessing that it um, points to. So for example, um, on the, the Learning Zion website, 
Um, if you go to the homepage and over on the right-hand side, I have a, a blog post, the 47 Promises of the Abrahamic Covenant. Um, if you'll scroll down, you'll see that God promises us 35 different things, and we promise 12 things in return. And so as you're going through your tests and trials, I want you to um, look and see which promises God blessed you with because of that trial. You know, sometimes we aren't at the end of a trial yet, or we have yet to see some of the promises come out of it, but try to map as many as you can to the, the tests and trials that you have already learned. Um, so I believe it's, it's very much like Newton's law. For every action, there's an equal, equal and opposite reaction that the depths of our sorrow can lead to the greatness of our joy. The, the, the Abrahamic test can lead to the blessings that, that God has for us out of it. Um, I do have a video on that too, not to self-promote, don't get me wrong there, but um, a video on my YouTube channel about um, that from Matthew Holland's uh, conference talk this last time. Uh, that was a huge profound insight to me, uh, mapping out trials and then um, looking at the blessings that, that stem from those, uh, the gifts and blessings and talents that we get out of our Abrahamic tests. I think that's huge. And going into chapter five, it'll be awesome. Um, finding those out and, and relating to Abraham in a deeper, more meaningful way by, by recognizing the Abrahamic covenant in our lives as it's playing out right before our very eyes. Um, so yeah, just finishing up any uh, wise comments and insights, things that we didn't uh, have time to discuss in class that you'd like to, to, to quickly share. I don't know if it's very wise, but <laughs> but I just I wanted to share um, a thought on the sacrifice part that we were just talking about. I can't find the scripture. I wish I was a scriptorian. Like I have it, I have it all, but I just I can't draw it quick off the top of my head. It takes me a while. But anyway, that's not a gift of mine, and that's okay. I have other gifts, and I'm okay with that. Um, but sacrifice. Um, Daily sacrifice is what came to my mind as we were talking about the sacrifices, the Abrahamic sacrifice. And um, I know that when I really began to seek um, seek God with an eye single glory to him um, is when he started presenting me the items to sacrifice, the things to sacrifice. They weren't my own ideas. They weren't my own and I had shed a lot of um, other things that I just knew needed to get cut out of my life um, before um, he had approached me with the things that he wanted me to let go of. And um, the, the day, the night that I was told, this is what you're giving up. Um, and that was, that was it immediately at this moment. And I was like, okay, done. And it wasn't an easy thing. It was a really hard thing for me. And um, it was the next morning that I was in my scripture study that I was reading in DNC and it talked about that daily sacrifice, like that I needed to sacrifice this item from now on until the second coming. And um, it hit me so strong and it made the sacrifice so, so worth it. And every time that that thing comes to my mind or that I want it or I want to do it or whatever the thing is, it, the power of God fills my body 
in understanding that this is for him. This is for the second coming. is isn't just for me or, you know, my decision. It, this is for God. And it just, um, I guess I just want to share that because I didn't understand um, the importance of sacrifice until I was given that particular challenge and was shown what that actually looks like. And I'm grateful for that. I'm really grateful. You know, a lot of times we think of sacrifice being on our own terms. Like I'm going to sacrifice this item, right? Mm -hmm. But it's very different when the Lord is like, you're going to sacrifice this item. And it comes from a whole new place. And so anyway, I, I am very grateful for that challenge and um, just wanted to share that. Yeah, thank you. All right, anything else anyone like to share before we head out? I just have a question. Are you gonna do this course again? Because I feel like I need to read this book from beginning to end again. Like, I feel like I'm just kind of getting the, you know, surface part and I want to do it again. So are you going to do it again? Uh, possibly, yeah. I, I hadn't really considered that. It. <laughs> it was kind of just a, a one-time thing in my head. Um, oh. the, the one thing I really wanted to do next was go through two different books, if anybody else wanted to do it. Um, go through Isaiah Decoded and through the Triumph of Zion in a book club yeah. kind of a scenario. Yeah. I would love to I do love that, it. but I would almost, you know, just like with what you said, I would like to read these things more than once. Maybe if we like take those three books and just kind of do a, a rotation that we go through those three books and then maybe start over and, and do those three one more time. I think that that would be super fun to kind of see what we've learned as we've studied more and, and, and everything. I don't know if, if y'all are open to it, but um, I'm really, great. I love a group setting and learning and, and growing together. I, I think it's really fun. And, and Triumph of Zion, I, I feel like, oh man, this is so over my head. I really want everybody else's insights on it. Um, and then Isaiah decoded, the Spirit's just pulling me to the ward that book and, and to understand Isaiah. I don't know. I'm, does anybody else feel like there's just not enough time in the day to like study yeah. things that you yeah. need to study? I'm feeling, yeah. Yeah, it, it's overwhelming, and I'm I, the, the spirit's telling me, but he's also telling me to do this and this and this, and I don't know, but but yeah. I, okay, I, so Isaiah decoded, and what's the other book you said? Triumph of Zion oh. uh, by John Pontius. The same author is like Visions of Glory, but it's okay. like the, the more practical steps of uh, building Zion in one's heart, kind of thing. But mm -hmm. I think the Triumph of Zion very much goes along with with Abraham. You know the the Zion principle and, and how to do that kind of thing. Okay. That's where I was wanting to maybe go next um, and then do Isaiah decoded after that one. But, you know, whatever everybody wants to do after, after this one, I, I would be totally open with. Oh, good. I'm glad you mean one book at a time. I thought you were meaning to do two at a time. And I'm like, I can't do that. No, no. <laughs> My brain will explode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't, I'm not that advanced. This is the wrong group for me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, for sure. Bless you. Yeah. Bless you. One book at a time. Yes, I'm yep. all in that. <laughs> and one chapter at a time, too. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I look forward to it. These, these groups are the highlight of my week. I, I look forward to them so much. Yeah. Thank you, Cameron, for everything that you do. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's a lot of your time. We appreciate it so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love doing it and everything. It, it's fun to have everybody uh, 
chiming in and participating. Yeah. I really appreciate the re I really appreciate the recordings of the chapters. Yeah. Because like everybody else, I, I have so much to do and I'm so busy. And I love to have something gospel related in my ears and my headphones when um, I'm taking care of those mundane things. And, and the insights that come to me are, are incredible um, when I'm doing that. But I, I think we have to really just ask the Lord every day, Lord, what do you want me to study today? What do I need to focus on today? What do you want me to learn? Just like every day we should ask, who should I serve today? I realize I can't serve everybody every day, but who should I serve today? And just like that, I can't read everything, but what do I read today? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what I do. Great principle. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to stay one week ahead on the audio recordings and stuff. So I just put out the, the chapter five one. Uh, I'm working on chapter six right now and, and I'll get that out pretty soon, but yeah, hopefully they're helpful. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you all for participating and have a great week. Thank you. Good night. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye.